0: Hello and bonjour everyone, welcome to the fourth lecture and first guest lecture for History 110, Native North America, Monday, September 9th. As at least a third of you know, I'm Jeffrey Harris, one of your TAs for this class, and I'll be talking to you today about European and Amerindian conflict and collaboration in the 18th century Southeast, focusing on French colonial Louisiana. We will begin briefly with an overview of the beginnings of French contacts with the indigenous peoples of North America and the expansion of French imperialism into the Mississippi Valley. After this brief survey, our story will begin with the French establishment of the Louisiana colony in 1699 and end with the Seven Years' War, often referred to in the United States as the French and Indian War, from 1756 to 1763. Although, in discussing Europeans, we will mainly be dealing with the French in this lecture, I will also be talking about the English in the Southeast as they relate to the French, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, and other nations. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that this story of the Southeast begins shortly after the 1680 Pueblo War of Independence that you will have read about for recitation this week. While warfare between Spaniards and Indians dominates the story of the late 17th century Southwest. The story of Europeans and Indians in the 18th century southeast is more complicated. Although characterized by regular warfare and occasional episodes of extreme violence, conflicts in the 18th century southeast unfolded in a shifting system of diplomacy among the French, the English, and native peoples. We will seek to understand this colonial world by looking at the relationships between French and Indian peoples, trade, sex, Indian and African slavery, and the degree to which native and European peoples were able to control the southeast. As we learned in discussion sections from last week's document, Montanay Indians on their first encounter with the French early 1500s, the French came first to Canada, which they called New France, in the early 16th century, only a few decades after Columbus arrived in the Caribbean. By the early 1600s, the French had established the colonial settlements of Quebec City and Montréal, uh, Montreal on the St. Lawrence River. From there, French colonists quickly expanded into the Great Lakes, eager to convert new Christians and, even more importantly, to trade for beaver pelts and deerskins. Although New France produced other important commodities such as fish and timber, the foundation of the French colonial economy in early North America was the fur trade. As the French cultivated trade networks farther and farther west into the North American interior, fur traders and Catholic missionaries arrived in the upper Mississippi Valley. In the late 1600s, the French expanded into the middle of North America while other Europeans were embroiled in wars against neighboring Indians. In the English colonies on the Atlantic coast, Englishmen and different Indian nations became embroiled in King Philip's War in New England, 1675 to 1676, and Bacon's Rebellion in Virginia, 1676. In the southwest, the 1780 Pueblo War of Independence drove the Spanish out of New Mexico. Spanish invaders and Pueblo peoples would struggle for control of the upper Rio Grande until the Spanish reconquered New Mexico at the end of the 17th century. While the English and Spanish waged war against their Indian neighbors, the French explored the Mississippi Valley. As we discussed in recitation last week, in 1673, the Jesuit priest Jacques Marquette and the merchant Louis Joliet descended the Mississippi River, although they returned north again before reaching its mouth. In 1681, René Robert Cavalier, sieur de La Salle, traveled from, uh, traveled down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico, claiming the Mississippi Valley for France and renaming the region Louisiana after the French king Louis XIV. However, the 1681 La Salle expedition did not establish any French settlement in the lower Mississippi Valley. Actual French colonial rule in Louisiana began with the founding of Biloxi on the Mississippi Gulf Coast in 1699 and ended with the partition of the colony and the cession of its territories to Spain and Britain at the end of the Seven Years' War, 1756 to 1763. The Louisiana colony encompassed the Gulfport cities of Mobile, founded in 1703, and New Orleans, founded in 1718, and the river systems upstream from them, including a vast hinterland stretching from West Florida and the Carolina frontier in the east, to Arkansas and the Texas borderlands in the west. The Illinois country in the upper Mississippi Valley, where French Catholic missionaries had been evangelizing Indian nations since the late 17th century, was officially united with the Louisiana colony in the lower Mississippi Valley in 1717. By the 1720s, French colonists had settled in communities around forts, missions, and Indian villages in Illinois, including Kaskaskia, Fort de Chartres, and Cahokia, as well as along the Mississippi between Illinois and New Orleans. The most significant of the lower Mississippi Valley settlements north of New Orleans was the Natchez Post, near present-day Natchez, Mississippi, an agglomeration of tobacco plantations around Fort Rosalie and the population centers of the Natchez Nation. In all of these settlement areas, as well as farther afield at French posts on the Mississippi tributaries, the French were in regular contact with their Amerindian neighbors, on whose cooperation their economy and security depended. The French in Louisiana interacted with a plethora of native peoples. Some of these were smaller nations, such as the Bayagula. Chitimacha, Colapissas, or Homa along the Gulf Coast. Others, such as the Cawpaw or Arkansas, and Illini peoples of the upper Mississippi Valley were much larger. The French readily recognized ther- three, largest, uh, three of the largest southeastern peoples as major regional powers. The first of these was the Natchez Nation, which Professor Lowry discussed in the previous lecture. The Natchez controlled the east bank of the Mississippi River in what is now Mississippi. The second regional power was the Choctaw Nation, situated in central Mississippi and Alabama. The third was the Chickasaw Nation, situated to the northeast of the Choctaw Nation and most French settlements. In the years before the French came to Louisiana, native populations in the Southeast had already suffered demographic collapse after the Spanish introduced European diseases to the region. Some historians have argued that the Southeast, and especially the lower Mississippi Valley, should be regarded as a shatter zone in which European diseases and European trade rapidly destabilized native communities. It is true that the power system among the southeastern nations I mentioned earlier developed out of a period of social crisis. And it is true that the French and the English in many ways caused and accelerated the collapse of native southeastern societies. However, it is more important to understand that when the French came to the southeast, they encountered Indian nations far stronger than they or the English were, nations which they could not control, at least not by themselves. Also, none of these native societies were isolated from each other, and the French were inserting themselves into a region already deeply interconnected through different trade networks, networks so well established that, in the Gulf South, trade between Indian societies and between Indians and Europeans was conducted in one trade language, or lingua franca, Mabila. When French settlers and soldiers arrived in Louisiana, they depended on help from native peoples to survive. In the earliest years of the 1700s, the French colonists were often starving. They were often compelled to decamp from their own Gulf Coast settlements to temporarily join the Indian villages that would feed them. Even as the main French towns of Mobile and New Orleans became better established, they still depended on trading for food from the Indians well into the 18th century. French traders, known as voyageurs, or coureurs des bois, travelers, or wood, woods-runners, seeking to trade European weapons, tools, cloth, and alcohol with Indians far from French towns on the Gulf Littoral or the Mississippi River, adopted Indian lifeways and Indian dress, and married Indian wives. To live and trade among Indian groups, French voyageurs, had to be adopted into native kinship structures. Sometimes, particularly in patrilineal native societies such as the Kawpaw or Arkansas, where marriage would mean separating the wife from the group instead of installing the husband in it, this meant ritual adoption of the trader into fictive kinship and the trader's sponsorship by one family or clan group within a nation. Very often, though, this meant the creation of actual kinship. French traders married Indian women in indigenous or Catholic or both traditions, and fathered mixed French-Indian children. These children of French and Indian parents, usually French men and Indian women, are referred to by scholars as Métis people. That's Métis, M, E, exaltigu, T I S. For the people of the 18th century southeast, however, these children were assimilated into the kinship and social structures they were born into. Métis children growing up in Indian communities in the interior of the continent, where most societies had matrilineal kinship structures, that is to say, structures in which the identity of the mother determined the social position of the child, cemented the kinship bond between their French voyageur fathers and their father's new Indian families. By contrast, Métis children in the French towns, where kinship structures, as in Europe, were patrilineal, that is to say that the identity of the father determined the social position of the child, were assimilated as French. Unlike the Spanish, the French usually did not label people in and around their colonial society according to perceived European or Amerindian blood quantum. French colonists regarded people as being either French or Indian, and the label of Metis did not really come into usage until the middle decades of the 18th century. Returning to French and Indian trade relationships, we must examine the issue of slavery. Most indigenous southeastern societies had some form of slavery before European contact. However, the French and English transformed the Indian slave trade by dramatically increasing the demand for captives. Indian slave traders in the Deep South satisfied this demand with Indian captives from two sources. First, the Southeastern nations enslaved captives from wars with each other. No society enslaves its own people, rather they enslave enemies or perceived outsiders. The Choctaw and the Chickasaw, for example, were constantly at war with each other, and English traders bought captives from both, though especially from the Chickasaw traders, for the Chickasaw became closely allied to them for access to their trade goods from Europe. The French also bought Indian slaves from the nations allied with them, especially from Choctaw traders, for the Choctaw became close allies and trading partners with the French. The second main supply source for the Indian slave trade in the southeast was warfare on the Great Plains. Slave captives taken from the several different nations of the upper and lower plains, especially Caddoes, streamed into the Mississippi Valley and the Gulf South. The French called these Indians Pani, P-A-N-I-S, whether they were actually from the Pawnee, P-A-W-N-E-E, or, more often, not. Both captives from the plains and from the southeast itself passed through a series of middlemen, always some other Indian nations, and sometimes French or English traders on the colonial frontier, before reaching their destination markets in Charleston or Mobile. The Indians acting as middlemen sometimes did so at risk of becoming captives themselves. For example, from 1711 to 1713, the English in North Carolina went to war against the neighboring Tuscarora nation. You will recall from the first day of class, reading about the outcome of their attack on the last, uh, the outcome of the English attack, that is, on the last Tuscarora refuge at Noa Roca, where the state historical marker reads, Tuscarora stronghold, site of decisive battle of the Tuscarora War, March 20th to 23rd, 1713, when 950 Indians were killed or captured. The Tuscarora war captives taken by the English were sold into slavery in the Carolina colony. Another example, also English, is the 1715 Yamasee War, the Yamasee were slave-trading middlemen in South Carolina, selling captives to the English at Charleston. Because of European diseases, the Yamasi faced demographic collapse, and to increase their numbers, adopted more and more captives who would have otherwise been sold to the English. The Yamasi had sold slaves to the English in return for English trade goods. In 1715, the Yamasee were severely indebted to the English and were not bringing enough slaves to the English to pay off their trade balance. This led to war between the English and their former Yamassi allies, and ultimately to the English enslavement of huge numbers of Yamassi captives. Indian slavery was more important to the French and English in the early 18th century before the mass importation of African slaves. In French colonial Louisiana, Indian slaves, mostly women, were used for domestic and agricultural labor as well as for sex. In the first decade of its development, the French Gulf town of Mobile was as much as 40% Indian. These demographics changed quickly as Louisiana engaged in the Atlantic slave trade. The first importations of African slaves to Louisiana began in 1709, and over the next two decades, the influx of Africans gradually displaced Indian slavery for most agricultural labor. The African slave trade to Louisiana ended in the 1730s and did not resume until after the colony's cession to Spain that is after the Seven Years War. However, the majority of the lower Louisiana population was black and enslaved by the mid-1720s and remained so for the remainder of the French regime. By 1730, Louisiana had developed a mixed economy based on both frontier trade and plantation exports. Although the majority of African slaves were concentrated in lower Louisiana, the entrenchment of African slavery deeply affected upper Louisiana as well. In Illinois, Both African and Indian slavery increased from the 1720s onward. By the 1730s, there were twice as many African slaves in French settlements in Illinois as Indians. Although Louisiana had not yet developed into a true plantation economy, by the end of the 1720s importations, African slavery was relatively widespread and the colony's economy depended on African agricultural labor. The English colonies underwent similar changes. By the early 18th century, South Carolina had consumed as many as 50,000 Indian slaves. However, importations of African slaves quickly replaced the demand for Indian captives. In both French and English colonies, runaway African and Indian slaves escaped into the swamp to form maroon communities together. Especially in the light of the Natchez War, which we'll discuss in a minute, The introduction of African slavery and the formation of mixed African and Indian Maroon communities deepened racial tensions and European anxiety in the colonial southeast. Let us return now to the question of French and Indian diplomacy. The French could not survive in Louisiana without the cooperation of most of the native peoples they encountered. Most French diplomacy with Indian groups was therefore shaped by Indian practices and took place on Indian terms. French delegations interacted with native leaders in elaborate calumet ceremonies. The word calumet can refer to the peace pipe that French and Indian leaders shared during these ceremonies, but it also refers to the larger ceremonies within which these ritual pipe smokings took place. French officers routinely referred to Indian delegations dancing the calumet, Speeches, dancing, singing, feasting, smoking, and gift exchange were all essential parts of the diplomatic ritual. The French also received Indian leaders in Mobile annually for gift-giving ceremonies. These exchanges always took place on Indian terms, as seen in that the ceremony continued to be held in Mobile even after the French moved their colonial capital to New Orleans. The colonial governor of Louisiana thus came to Mobile from New Orleans on a regular basis because some Indian leaders preferred not to travel there. The colonial French were able to manipulate gift-giving for their own purposes. They began to give out medals to allied Indian chiefs, some medals larger and more more ornate than others. Yet although Indian chiefs desired larger tokens of greater appreciation and prestige from the French, these medals and the French endorsement behind them did not really change the status of Indian chiefs within their nation or among other nations. In the end, Indian practices determined protocol indeed the french spent exorbitant sums on indian presents resources they would have preferred to allocate elsewhere and the home government at paris and versailles balked at paying greater and greater sums of money that they saw as being distastefully close to tribute extortion french colonial governors on the other hand understood the reality of the situation French and Indian diplomacy and France's control of its empire in Louisiana depended on the ceremonies of cooperation with Indian allies, especially the Choctaw, who were the only sure defense the French had against the Chickasaw and the English on on their eastern frontier. The French needed to engage in native ceremonial practices and keep a steady stream of European trade goods flowing to their native allies, something they often had more trouble doing than the English did. They also sought to win over native allies by propagating the Catholic faith among as many nations as they could afford priests for. Some nations, such as the Illini nations upriver, converted to Christianity, although many converted Indian groups combined Christian practices with native belief systems. Some nations, such as the Choctaw, did not readily accept European religious practices, but nevertheless allowed French missionaries into their communities because they were valued as diplomats. Although many French fantasized about assimilating the Indian quote-unquote savages into French quote-unquote civilization, Indians who were not slaves usually had no interest in this, even if they accepted the Catholic religion or other aspects of French culture. The small Appalachian nation of West Florida, for example, decimated by warfare with the English and their Indian allies, sought refuge in the French sphere of influence and relocated their settlements to a few miles outside Mobile. The Spanish in Florida had already converted the Apalachee to Catholicism, and the French eagerly welcomed Catholic Indian allies. The French at Mobile were in constant contact with the Apalachee, and a French priest often served both the Apalachee and the French colonists at Mobile. However, even though a small war-torn nation far weaker than the French... The Appalachee interacted with the French on their own terms. While French observers often have remarked that the piously Catholic Appalachee had become just like their French neighbors and were, in the view of some, more quote-unquote French than the colonial French were, the Appalachee had no desire to assimilate into the French population at Mobile. Because their community had come so close to extinction in the wars in Florida, the Apalachee closed ranks and did not intermarry with Europeans or live among them in their towns. Thus, in many cases where French and Indian populations did not mix, it was because Indians chose to segregate their communities from the French towns. The opposite was also sometimes the case. The French sometimes wanted Indian land for their plantations and not only sought to establish communities separate from nearby Indian villages, but sought to relocate Indians from their villages to expand into their territory. Such was the case at the Natchez Post, upriver from New Orleans near present-day Natchez, Mississippi. In response to the French military commander's instructions to move their settlements to make way for the French, the Natchez Nation, on November 28, 1729, attacked Fort Rosalie, the Natchez Post, killing 237 people. When the word of the attack reached New Orleans in December, the colony was immediately thrown into chaos, a pandemonium exacerbated by a subsequent outbreak of violence at the Yazoo Post in Mississippi in January 1730. With the military support of their Choctaw allies, the French responded to what they regarded as a war of extermination against them by attempting to exterminate the Natchez, whose survivors fled to the Chickasaw and other nations. The event, which the colonial French uniformly referred to as the quote unquote, Natchez Massacre, shook the Louisiana colony to its foundations. The government collapsed, and a new governor of Louisiana was appointed. The Catholic missions briefly considered evacuating the missionaries from Louisiana. Moreover, the Natchez War obliterated any fantasies of assimilating the Amerindians in French communities by instilling a hyper-paranoid race consciousness among the French. French colonists increasingly wrote about themselves as foreign invaders and about Indians as, quote-unquote, barbarians instead of, quote-unquote, savages. Whereas before 1730, many French had described Indians ethnocentrically as beings exterior to French civilization who might potentially be included in it. After 1730, the French mostly talked about Indians, whether they were allies or enemies of the French as racially distinct from Europeans and incapable of being part of the French quote unquote civilization. Colonists feared that the Natchez War would be the opening salvo in a race war in which the Amerindian nations would unite to drive the French out of Louisiana. The Vicar General of Louisiana and Director of the Jesuit Missions, Father Lupetzi, related to a colleague the fear of Indian conspiracy in a shocked New Orleans. Quote, The first rumors of the dreadful calamity filled all New Orleans with the greatest grief. Everybody had something to weep for. One of his relatives, another a dear friend, another his goods. As it was, with reason feared that all the Indians had conspired against the French. Nobody here thought himself safe, quote. Le Petit thought that the Natchez, quote unquote, war of extermination was confirmed as a general rising by the 1730 Yazoo attack. He and the survivors along the Mississippi, quote, now were convinced that a great conspiracy against the French was on foot and that they must treat with distrust all the Indian tribes, End quote. He alleged that the French colony's most formidable foes, the Chickasaw, had tried to quote-unquote corrupt the Illinois nation and convince them to participate in the eradication of the French, but that the Illinois refused, replying that they were of the prayer. He viewed the most important and powerful ally that the French had, the Choctaw, as being barbarous, loathsome, untrustworthy, and devoid of any respect for Christianity. Indeed, Le Petit's opinions were representative of many Frenchmen who saw all Indians as suspect and, at the peak of the crisis, thought the barbarian Choctaws and the other Indian allies would imminently betray the French. Even the military commanders on campaign with the Choctaw held these suspicions and kept their cannon trained on friend and foe alike. Worse even than the fear of a general Indian insurrection, many French colonists thought the Natchez massacre heralded an alliance between Amerindians and Africans to wipe out Louisiana's minuscule European population. One colonial official reported to Versailles the ominous observation that the Natchez spared and took alive as many black slaves as possible. Governor Perrier claimed that African slaves had helped the Natchez to plan and carry out the massacre. What they viewed as a massacre. Another official reported that the English had incited the Indian allies to raise the slaves and expel the whites, and that the claim had been confirmed by the confessions of several black slaves, quote, they had wanted to make what few enslaved, negres, as negroes, charitably translated from French, there were among the settlers at the Illinois posts, revolt against the French by promising them freedom, end quote. Military officers claimed that not only did the Natchez seek to liberate the Africans and the Indian women, but the barbarians, quote unquote, even went so far as to enslave French prisoners and paint the French black to mark them as being slaves. More than ever before, French colonists had come to see their society as a rigid tripartite racial hierarchy that depended on white French control of non-white others and suppression of those others' challenges to French supremacy and usurpation of French whiteness. The specter of Amerindians raising the African slaves against the racialized social order would persist through the rest of the French period. So the Natchez war not only resulted in the French and Choctaw obliteration of the Natchez nation, but also in the accelerated development of European racism in the southeast. More importantly, The Natchez War illustrates both the increased instability in native societies after European settlement in the southeast, and the inability of the Europeans to effectively conquer major native groups without the help of other powerful Indian nations. Later in the 18th century, the competition between the French and the English for access to Indian allies and Indian markets also caused civil wars within nations, including the Choctaw. However, despite the political instability of the southeastern world, native peoples, including the reunited Choctaw, Maintained control over most of the south. The French were able to claim dominion over the Mississippi Valley and the Gulf South because they won over the Indian allies who actually controlled these lands. Beyond the immediate surroundings of New Orleans, Mobile, and the reestablished French settlement at Natchez, the French could not function without Indian support. Indian peoples in the Southeast had options. They could play the English and French, the Choctaw and Chickasaw against each other. Whereas in the Southwest, the political boundaries were shaped by the ability or inability of the Spanish conquistadors to subjugate the Pueblo and other indigenous nations. In the Southeast, the multiplicity of major European and native powers created a system of alliance and competition in which no clear winner could prevail. And even among the European powers in the early and mid 18th century, none did. Louisiana, the most populous but least Europeanized, that is say with the smallest European population, of any early French colony, was securely French thanks mainly to non-Europeans who continued to protect the French until their defeat in the Seven Years' War. In 1756, war broke out among the European great powers. England and France had been continuously in competition in North America, competition that often took the form of proxy wars between their respective Indian allies. Yet neither the English in Carolina nor the French in Louisiana had the strength to expel the other. With the outbreak of war in Europe, this changed. By 1763, France and its allies in Europe and in Canada had been defeated. In the peace settlement, French colonial Louisiana was divided along the Mississippi River between England, which took the East Bank, and Spain, which, in exchange for giving Florida to the English, took the West Bank and all of Louisiana south of Lake Pontchartrain, including New Orleans. Although Anglo-American strength grew in the East, in most of the Southeast in 1763, the Spanish and the English, like the French before them, were dependent on the help of native peoples to control their imperial claims. This would not change until the 19th century, after the imperial takeover of Louisiana by the United States. All right, that's it for French colonial Louisiana and the 18th century Southeast Shatter Zone. Thank you, and I will see you Friday in recitation.